All right, we are live. Welcome to another episode of Roasting Marshmallows. My name is Rolf Suit, and I am your host. Uh, so in the age of liberated companies, there are different models of governance where individuals are responsible to undertake actions on behalf of their company. Uh, with a participatory decision-making process and distributed leadership at its core, a sociocratic governance is at odds with the traditional vertical management system. A sociocratic organization allows the individual to express oneself within a group and allows the group to function in an autonomous and co-responsible manner. Uh, sociocracy produces organizations that are both collaborative and highly productive. The, the process for decision-making is very different from uh, majority voting that inevitably will lead to the majority rule. Uh, because as with society, the majority rule easily leads to polarization and promotes competition and dominance instead of cooperation and equality. Using consent and collaboration as a foundation for decision-making uh, and communications, sociocracy builds a strong governance structure that extends from the mailroom to the boardroom and from the client to the founders. So today we're roasting marshmallows with John Buck, co-author, along with Sharon Valinas of the book, We the People, Consenting to a Deeper Democracy, a guide to sociocratic principles and methods. And he also was the co-author with Jutta Eckstein of the Bossa Nova book that we handled uh, a few episodes back. Uh, John has had a career in management and government and corporations. Uh, he is now an expert advisor, helping organizations adopt dynamic governance. John found this new way of running organizations right here in the Netherlands, and he even taught himself Dutch uh, in order to gain full access to the literature. Dus ik wil graag deze kans nemen om onze gast even in het Nederlands welkom te heten. Uh, welkom, John, en hoe is het met jou? Dank je wel. Ja, so is it true that you just learn Dutch just to be able to... Uh, yeah, to, to gain the, access to the literature. When, when I ran across Gerard Endenberg um, back in the 80s or early 90s, there was not a nice Google translator that you could dump all the literature into. And I found that the little bit that they had translated into English was terrible. Uh -huh. And so I, I knew German. I thought, well, I'll just get my warden book out and just start translating. Yeah. And so if you ask me what's an afdeling, I can tell you that you know, it's a department. <laughs> but if you ask me what this is, I don't know. <laughs> whenever I try to talk Dutch, I bring in German words because I had that in, in the, the gymnasium. Okay. And then the Dutch say, you know, the border to Germany is right over there. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a mixed bag. Uh, so, that, so that's why, Henrik, you haven't learned Dutch yet, because you can just use Google Translate. Exactly, them. man. And I'm here yeah. for 11 years now, and I don't know even the basics. So... <laughs> It's impressive, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but uh, Pancha, you actually did manage, right? Well, you or you can be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can have a conversation with you in Dutch, so uh, yeah. yeah, pretty good. But, yeah. And, and as I was saying when we were chatting beforehand, there's a big plus to having learned the original Dutch because I can say things in Dutch I can't easily say in English. And I have to spend a long time explaining some of the yep. connotations that come with the Dutch words. So. It's, yeah. a, it's a really great conceptual yeah. language. So, All right. so for me, nice. it sounds like you've had a really amazing motivation for yourself to learn, to broaden your knowledge of languages, just to deepen yourself into a concept of sociocracy. So I, yeah. I, I was curious, what, what is it about sociocracy that captivated you? Yeah, the, the, probably I, I believed the teaching I got when I was a school kid about we were a democracy in the US. And so when I got my first job out of out of college as a technical writer at Boeing in Seattle, um, I, you know, I liked the job, I liked my boss, I liked the people I was working with, I was being paid well, work was interesting. And it hit me one day when I came back from doing voting for the, you know, the local election in Seattle, voted for the mayor and all that, mm -hmm. that I couldn't vote for my bosses at Boeing. And mm -hmm. I said, how come? Why, if democracy is so good, why aren't businesses running democratically? And I um, thought, gee, I'd like to work for a democratic company. And I started doing some research on who has that. And I looked at things like the Modrigan system in, in the Basque area in Spain. And I said, there's something not quite right and on that. And the next year they had a labor strike. I said, okay, they're not, you know, it's not them. And yeah. so I went on to get a nice career at the Federal Aviation Administration. And got lots of management training and I could take whatever classes I wanted. And so I took lots of neat classes, but couldn't find anybody that was running democratically. And I was, uh, I, I built up a, a really early um, computer-based training program at the FAA and, and was over in Holland to give a speech about it. And I was talking with my host 
one night and I was saying, you know, I can't find this democratic company. And they said, ah, problem's been solved. Go see Harald Endenberg in Rotterdam. He, he solved it. So I went down there immediately. And within a half an hour, I could see he had something new. And so I thought, okay, this is like, let's, let's go look at this further. And I made some more trips back to Holland and I wrote a master's thesis on it because I wanted to, you know, if I was going to get involved with it, I wanted to have data that said this is, you know, actually effective. And yeah. Yeah. I compared uh, five or six Dutch companies with general sociological survey and had data that said, you know, this causes people to be a higher level of commitment to the organization. I said, okay, there's lots more parameters, but let's go for it. And did Gerrit uh, have really like the, the company in such a place where people could indeed vote for their bosses and everything? Oh, yeah. 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 yeah that's yeah. It, it, okay. In sociocracy, you definitely can say, uh, you know, I object to that person being my boss or let's do it this way or whatever. Right. Yeah. And that that this, this, it's a complex thing. It, it links to the American experience in that most people don't know that up until about 1850, the men would elect their officers in the U.S. Army. Okay. And so it's there in our culture, but then the civil war happened and industrialization and all yeah. that, and it all faded away. But that's, you know, you, you can certainly organize that way. And, and Gerard had a, uh, a system based on cybernetics that, that, that does the trick. Right. Interesting. Okay. But like, is why, why would, maybe that's a bit weird question, but like, why would I want to work for a company that is like in a sociocracy way? Well, um, they when they're operating, they're pretty successful. They, the uh, it's, it's very hard to prove, you know, that sociocracy causes this, but there's lots of correlations with success. So it's related to, as you said, commitment. So people are more committed if they can elect their own bosses or leaders. Right, but that's just one parameter. You, if you look at, uh, you know, are you more profitable? Well, it's really hard to yeah. prove the sources of profit, but the effectiveness maybe a little bit more. And and uh, so there's a number of really fine examples around that of organizations that adopt it seriously and wholly that end up being much more agile and, and all kinds of other stuff. But the you know they they they're in there, they hang in there. Right. So the, the sociocracy is based on on four pillars and maybe we can uh can talk about them a little bit so that maybe uh, the people can have an idea of, of the concepts that are uh, that are included. And so because the first thing you already kind of mentioned it where people uh, object to certain thing and it's like consent based uh, decision making, right? Could you mm -hmm. could you maybe explain a little bit how that works? Yeah. Um, in order to do so, I'm going to step back a little bit and give you uh, uh, cybernetics. Yeah. Sure. Um, so The, there's an, just a quick history about him. He um, was raised by a parents who, before World War II, were radical socialists. I think his mother was a famous actress and so on. After World War II, the, when socialism started sweeping the, the continent, Euro, European continent, uh, his parents said, mm, no, that's not what we were talking about. So they decided they would start their own management laboratory, their own company, and experiment with their ideas. And uh, meanwhile, Gerard um, uh, went to the Kindergemeinschaft, the children's workshop, uh, which was run by uh, a man named Case Bucher, who had heard about sociocracy from um, the, the, the U.S. It had gone from uh, um, Comte to the U.S. and then back to uh, him in terms of people trying to work on it. Mm. So Gerard uh, learned the basics of it in school. He went on to get uh, a, a really good electronics de degree and worked for Philips. Um, the flat speaker that's in your telephone is, uh, you know, he got the patent for Philips on that. Okay. And um, so brilliant guy. And the his parents had started an electrical company uh, providing, you know, um, I think it started out with lamps and that kind of thing. But the, today the company does maybe wiring up of a dam or a ship or a big building, that heavy electrical stuff. So when his parents decided they wanted to retire, they said to Gerard, uh, would you uh, come take over the company in our experiment? And he did. He left Philips. And he said he remembers very clearly looking at the power structure at Andenberg Electrotechnique. Mm -hmm. And he, it was, of course, the traditional top-down sort of thing. And he shook his head and said, as an electrical engineer, I would never design a power circuit that way. It has no feedback loop that yeah. can't be ignored. 
Mm. And and like the, the thermostat on the wall of your house, you set it for, for 20 degrees. And the, if it go, falls below that, then there's a, a switch that, that goes on and, and turns on the furnace. Yep. And it, you cannot ignore the feedback that uh, it's now at 19 degrees. And so there was no mechanism for that. So he said, all right, to be steerable, a system has to have a, a you know a command system, but it also needs a feedback loop, so you can adjust yep. how you're commanding. Yep. Makes total and sense. So, so then he said, "All right, my problem then is is how to build in a feedback loop that cannot be ignored." And so the the I think you said when you were introducing this is like oh hierarchy and sociocracy are fighting each other. Yep. No, the, the the hierarchy is one piece of the of the steering loop, um, uh, lead do measure. And so the what sociocracy does is it adds the feedback loop, and that puts everybody who's involved in the system that is the company able to say the system is not working, we have to fix it. So then he said, all right, in the command system, ultimately the boss says, you know, I, I've, I've listened to you, I'm a good participative manager, but I'm making the decision. Yeah. Yeah. He had to change that power structure. How do you build the feedback loop? And so he came up with the idea that in, say, any standard working unit, um, they would periodically stop and have a time to think. And he called it a circle meeting. A, a, a ring is different than circle in English, yeah. but it's, it's close enough. I, I would rather yeah. call it a ring, but then you have ringleaders in English, which is... <laughs> um, the social circle. But, but, but ring, ring describes the closeness that you get yeah. operating this way much more than circle. Circle is French-based, and, you know, they... They don't know how to say it like Anglo-Saxon, so ring is Anglo-Saxon. Um, anyway, Kring, they formed Krings, and in the Kring meeting or circle meeting, then you make decisions by, and he wasn't sure, how do they make decisions? How do I, it can't be majority vote, as you were saying. And he told me that um, he tried to solve this problem by going on a personal retreat, and he gave up. He couldn't figure out how do you actually make an egalitarian decision with the boss being present. And he gave up and as he was putting in the suitcase into the back of the trunk of his car to leave, it hit him. He said, it's consent. And that's a systems-based concept. So if you okay. are, uh, it's the middle of the night and you have to drive to the store to get milk for the baby or whatever, you get in the car and you don't get in the car and say, car, do you agree we should go get milk for the baby? The car's not going to talk to you. It cannot agree with you. But if you get halfway there and the the tire goes completely flat. The car has said, I have an objection. I can't consent to go because if you go, then it's a $3,000 wheel job because you're going to ruin the rim and so forth. Yeah. And so now you have to think, okay, how do I solve this objection? Maybe you put on a spare tire, maybe you, you know, go get an Uber or whatever. Um, and so the system can object even though it can't agree. It can say this isn't working. And right. that's consent. Um, and, and it's not consensus, which asks for agreement. It's acceptance. Yeah. The, in the U.S. Declaration of Independence, there's a phrase that says governments exist by the consent of the people. And it's not the consensus of the yeah. people. It's like they, they have to, they'll, they'll put up with it. You can put up with some pretty awful things. So it's a systems-based concept. And that means that when you're having this, this circle meeting, which is pretty much like a retrospective in Agile, you uh, are saying, hmm, this is happening. Do we want to keep working this way or is there an adjustment that's needed? I can't consent to this happening because it, so on and so forth. And you then, every every piece of the system has to consent to whatever you come up with, the boss, the, the janitor, whatever. And the consent then becomes um, the arguments that you offer. This, this, this is what's proposed as a decision. And I... I don't consent to it because yeah. the because could be you have a bad feeling about it, which is why the Dutch is valuable. The mean you know, means heavy. Yeah. The objection in English is just like, OK, it's an intellectual mm -hmm. argument. But the Dutch meaning is, is important. And so you may have bad feelings about it. And everybody says, oh, John, you know, what do you, do you have tight tension in your shoulders, your stomach bad? But, you know, what's this about? And it's this. And it reminds me of that. And then everybody begins to understand it. 
The, right. the practical outcome of that is that very often when that happens, everybody goes, aha, let's do this. And the, the decision will shift. It can cause, it can help uh, transformative learning where you're doing framework shifting. Yeah. And so it's not a veto. It's the beginning of a creative process when, yeah. you, when you have an objection. I can imagine uh, it, it requires uh, psychological safety of the of the circle of people that are discussing mm -hmm. an idea, right? Because if, if, if your boss, you know, gives this an, an idea and uh, yeah, you don't dare to 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 point out your bezwaren or your objections, um, yeah, how, is that also part of sociocracy, building some psychological safety, or is it yeah. like a whole different field in itself? No, that that's definitely part of it, and the. Um, I'll give an example of, of an example of it being overcome, and that was uh, uh, a, an assisted living facility that where the uh, a friend of mine was was running it, and she wanted to go sociocratic, and uh, so we had some training, and then at the point where I was gone, they were running a, a circle meeting, and the people in this uh, meeting, it wasn't a big facility, um, the, the the people there were typically middle-aged women, uh, many of whom maybe hadn't completed high school, uh, you know, coming from fairly rough circumstances, uh, before had worked in places that were, it was like an abusive employer relationship. And so in the meetings, they would sit there like this. And um, the, this that happened for a couple of meetings. And the third meeting, um, the, one of the women this was like a care facility for elder people. But, and so they were doing, you know, all the, the linen and all that kind of thing. She, she held up a towel and she said, and it was threadbare, you know, the little holes. And she said, we need new towels. And my friend said she could see the other people looking at her thinking, expressing the thought, you're going to be fired for running your mouth. Yeah. So she, of course, said, oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Thank you. We'll buy new towels. And everybody's like, you didn't get fired. And so they went from that, and they the women began gradually to, um, uh, you know, loosen about it. And within a year, they were starting to get awards, state level awards for quality of care because the you know all the thinking that was was happening, uh, you know, okay. great ideas and innovations. So that's typical. We've got lots of baggage yeah. from the way we're normally operating. And it takes quite yeah. some time to get over it. And I suppose also the role of. Yeah. Um, Facilitator in those. Oh, is this better? Yeah. No. Not really. No. Yeah. yeah. Now it's better. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thanks, uh, Hick. Um, so it takes quite a while to get to change a, a dynamic and history that everybody, all of us, or the group uh, carries with ourselves. What would the role mm -hmm. of a facilitator, one of these meetings, be? Wouldn't also be to make um, a bit of a safe environment and give everybody equal. Um, equality of mm -hmm. voice. Yeah, the, we've got procedures the, that when we train facilitators, we try to, to go through that with them um, to under our program. Um, if we are training somebody to be a certified facilitator, it's 60 hours of training, which is about if, if I go and want to do mediation at a local mediation center around here, the training is about 50 hours. It's the same equivalent kind of thing. There's lots of very specific things to learn. Yeah. And the, the, uh, the, one of the things you do in a circle meeting is you go around in a circle, making sure that everybody gets a chance to talk. If it's on Zoom, you make sure that you've got all those pictures having a chance to talk. And they don't have to talk, but everybody gets a chance to, to talk. And that means that you um, have some controls on the people who like to talk a lot you know, blah, 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 and they, you have to interrupt them and you have a fight for the floor and, and a lot of people just say, I'll just sit back and let them yep. talk. So that's the, doing around, uh, simple as it seems, um, people when they learn about sociocracy go back to the office and make sure everybody talks and they said it makes a big difference, just that one thing. Um, but there are other uh, skills to learn like, okay, how do you resolve an objection uh, where you have, you know, one person says we got to turn to the right, another says we got to turn to the left, or the window needs to be both, yeah. you know, it needs to be open, and another one says shut. How do you deal with that? And so there are other, other helpful concepts to to be able to um, resolve those in a way that's that's really fair and everybody sees is is you know okay everybody was honored, and 
things like awareness that people all have blind spots and you fill in blind spots. You can say it's obviously A, B, C, but you forgot that it's, you know, it's, it's uh, B and a half. You, you know, you overlook that. Uh, another concept that's really important is uh, both and thinking. If somebody says, okay, uh, I, I want to turn the car right and somebody else says turn it left, how do we both turn it both right and left at the same time? As opposed to arguing, is it better to go right or left? Because uh, I think yeah. these problems that you're describing, to me, I see them every day, right? Like you go to a meeting, they are discussing and everybody wants to go to a different direction. I don't think it's per se unique to sociocracy to have that problem. So I guess you guys have a different solution to solve that problem. Is that how I should understand sociocracy? Yes, the the it's it's not unique to sociocracy because the um, the concept of both end thinking was was first advanced in 1980 by a book called uh, Getting to Yes by Bill Urey. It's the, kind of the Bible of mediators, and so it's just a really great tool to know. We are trained, oh. Here's a question and the, you know, the scale of justice, this is a heavier argument. So it's got to be this way instead of that way. And we're trained to think either or. But if you think, if you ask, given two different arguments, how do we do both? You have an entirely different thought process. Yeah. And that's, it's really important to know that. So um, I think I can, I can speak for myself, but I think also speak for us. Your, uh, the book that you wrote with the Utah was um, sort of, really pivotal in our understanding and um, perceiving agile. Uh, we've all been involved in it for plus 10 years, 10 to 15 years, each and every one of us. And we've seen project after agile project, not really achieving what it's supposed to achieve. Mm -hmm. And uh, after when reading, reading the book where you put together agility beyond budgeting, open spaces and sociocracy, kind of a lot of things clicked. Um, mm, what is good. your take on it? Why have a lot of attempts at agility uh, brought Fail. this this bitter taste to the mm. word agile? Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> the um, agile solved the problem that uh, they were trying to develop software in a uh, a design fashion. You know, the waterfall approach. I, I um, when I was doing computer systems management, I, you know, studied all that, you know, I have a, a, um, um, a, um, a, a, a programming document, and you have a strategic plan, and you have uh, all this stuff, you know, a testing document, and then you start doing your programming, and it never produced anything. And so the idea that software development was complex, and that you couldn't plan it out like you could design an aircraft or something was a big breakthrough. And so you had to have tools that uh, were appropriate to complexity. And the problem that Agile runs into is that uh, the complexity is not what a normal organization is designed to handle. It's top down, we have a good concept. And so when the manager of the bank says, I want a new computer uh, you know, system in, in a year and you have you know, $5 million to, to put it in, tell me what your schedule is. The software people come back and say, well, no, I'll tell you next two weeks what we're going to do, but we don't know when we're going to be done and, or how much it'll cost. You know, sorry about that. And the, you know, the bank manager fires them, brings in more software people that say the same thing. So there's this, this big clash. And uh, to have company-wide agility you need to be able to conceive of the process of a business as complex as opposed to something that you can do as an engineer, you know, design everything. And that, when Agile came in, it never solved that larger problem. And, and so the, uh, when the Agile people, you know, the software people are allowed to, you know, just run on their own, then it's okay. But there's always this collision at the, between yep. things yep. being software and other things. Yeah, that's exactly our experience. So uh, that's why we t we immediately tried to consume everything we could relate, uh, whereas uh, regarding to sociocracy, open spaces, uh, beyond budgeting, because it was like, seems to be completing a whole picture that a lot of our efforts in the past have gone sort of in uh, in vain and have been a cause of a lot of frustration. But when, when, when you and I were writing that book, and we didn't put it in the book, we created a grid and we had beyond budgeting, sociocracy, open space, and agile over here. And then we, we put, we said, we've got to relate them. So we took the four manifesto principles here 
And we said, how does beyond budgeting talk about, you know, software, uh, uh, working software over, over yeah. documentation? What's their version of it? So we were able to fill in the whole chart. You could say those four concepts with any of the, the uh, uh, approaches. And so we then kind of tried to synthesize that, that chart to say, how do we really combine these into something that, that works for all the different facets of the business? Um, you know, like if you have an annual budget, you are not an agile company, period. You know, no. why? Well, okay, what do you do about that? So the, the beyond budgeting language is much more suited to address the budget question than, yeah. than other I things. Think you guys did a good job connecting the dots there. And like one part that going back to this that triggers me a bit is, let's say, does a company have to start as a sociocracy company? Can a company become a sociocracy sociocratic company <laughs> it's, even, it's a terrible marketing name Nobody can yeah it's it like really hard and then i think my question is more like have you also experienced that you are in a sociocratic meeting and then suddenly everybody has their consent and then they both say no i go my way the, the, that group doesn't last very long if that happens the boss has to be trained the boss has to understand along with everybody else that it's and the boss is in a um, crucial position. The boss has to appreciate that I have to have a solid feedback system. Mm. I have to, I, there are things I cannot see. Yeah. So this cannot happen that, like bottom up has to be in a way, a top down decision to go on sociocracy level. It's a systems based approach. And so bottom up is not systems. It's just bottom yeah. up. Right. But the, I mean, I can imagine a boss saying like, oh, but now I have this external circumstance that I have no control about that makes me, you know, have to force a decision here, you know, mm. for the for the existence of the company or, or whatever, yeah. whatever. The, the, the practical solution to that is, is that you the policies you set in your circles are not going to yeah. cover every circumstance. And so right. if the yeah. boss says, you know, OK, you know, the, 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 the building's on fire, I'm not going to go get consent to, you know, get everybody out of the building. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. The, what you do if you do that is you call a circle meeting as soon as you can and say, this is what I did. You yeah. don't have a policy for it. I want to talk about it so we can handle it in the future. But, that, you know, this is what I did. Yeah. And it, right or wrong, and we can fix what was wrong, but this is what I did. And that's okay. So that, so that means that the, the transparency in the company, you know, it has to be paramount, right? It, I mean, yeah. you have to have full transparency in your company in order for these these meetings to have any effect is is that sometimes also uh, difficult for companies to achieve because i mean there are of mm. course trade secrets and certain levels of clearance that people need to have and mm. all this stuff transparency is not that all information is available to everybody all the time okay for one thing that's too much information and you can just hide things by oh it's, it's right here but you know it's it's buried down here also sure yep. so the the as Endenberg was experimenting with this, they ran across a situation where their overhead rate uh, was being kept secret because they wanted to be able to bid successfully on a contract. And if it was all over the company, then their their competitors would find it out and they would bid you know a hundred dollars yeah. less and get the contract. Um, so they what they and there was some objections in one circle, and so what they did is they elected somebody that everybody trusted to go look at the books. And see, there was you know, and where he could see what the overhead rate was, and he came back and said, "Yeah, there's no tricks being tricks happening." So it's it's it, it, you have to have the information available that you need to make the decisions in your circle. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. And there should be no insurmountable barrier to that. So you mentioned earlier the um, um, you made a reference to the introduction that the road road that like the the structure the circle structure uh, or the cream structure with the uh, hierarchical structures they are not necessarily uh, the opposing factors to one another but they need to basically coexist and there is purpose for both type of structures can you elaborate a bit on on, on that because uh, one thing at least for me uh, when I when I found out a lot more about sociocracy is that actually sociocracy finds place for all different ways of making decisions, not just sociocratic decisions. And there is room mm -hmm. for, for each approach, even autocratic, maybe even democratic, um, uh, and, but they, they all need to be taken in its own context. So maybe you can explain a bit about the context yeah. in which these uh, I, take place. I, I try, or I, when I'm 
have the luxury of no COVID and can teach live, um, I, I like to do an exercise where I get everybody outside of wherever we are on a, on a field or a lawn. And I say, we, I want you to get this in your bodies. And I will, maybe if it's, if it's 30 people, I'll have them uh, stand in, in four lines or five lines, whatever. And, um, you know, one military fashion. And um, I'll say, like, okay, this is one way of organizing. Everybody take a step to the left. Everybody does that really easy. Everybody take a step to the right. Fine. So I said, I can, by commanding you, move the whole group. Um, and so there are some pluses in that. What are they? Oh, accountability and so on. I said, what does it feel like to be at the very end of the line? I'm hiding. I don't like it back here. Okay, so this has pluses and minuses. It feels good some ways and doesn't feel good other ways. And then... I'll have them sort of spread the lines out a little bit and have the back of the line curl up to the middle. So we now have like a clover leaf of, of four circles and the inner circle, the general circle, will have the person who is at the head of the line, the boss or the supervisor, standing right next to the person who is at the back of the line. And so then there's a, a circle there of those people and then there's the broader circle. And I say, you can choose to be this way. And in this way, we now have circles and we can make you know, uh, decisions by consent, and then the inner circle will help us make decisions for everybody. And um, there's more to it than that, but then very often I'll have them all hold hands like this, and then we back up, and voila, we're standing in a huge circle. And so I'd say, this is we the people, everybody looking at each other in a circle. Um, the... Um, uh, we, we can choose to stand and form whatever we're doing in the way that works best for our, our objective. And all the different possible ways of structuring ourselves, it's up to us what we can consent to. Yeah. So a sociocracy group could say, I want to be now in a command and control fashion for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be for a specific issue or a specific domain. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, just a simple example of that. Like, a, there's a really nice school in North Carolina called the Rainbow Community School. And uh, it's uh, like I've got data and tests that are done, and the kids are way above everybody else. You know, lots of successful stuff there. But the, the director, when they were putting this in, they, they were going along for a while, and then they had a, a budget crunch, and she laid off somebody. And the faculty was up in arms because they said, wait a minute, I thought we were running sociocratically, but you're just laying off somebody. This is all a trick. And Renee said, you're right. That's the way we used to do it. Let's see how we want to do it. And so they formed a committee that sat down and worked and said, how do we want to deal with a situation where somebody needs to be fired or laid off or you know some adverse personnel action? And when they got into it and saw all the mess that you get in when you have that kind of thing, they said, we really don't want to be in on that. But what we do want is we'll elect two or three senior teachers. And whenever you have to do a adverse action, you need to talk with them. Not that they're going to tell you what to do, but you need to bounce off of them so they understand. And then you may not be able to say, you know, I'm firing so-and-so because they did this illegal thing. And so you're just firing somebody and we don't know about it. But if the top teachers say, you know, it's okay. This is the transparency thing. I, I agree with this decision. Then we'll go along with it. And so they invented that themselves. That was That's how we want to do it. We, we delegate to you all this messy stuff, but we want some sort of insight. Okay. Because like one of the customers that I, I work with, they, they have this, uh, well, normal hierarchical thing. And they create those expert groups or expert leaders or whatever in some specific areas. And if people has a question or decision is made in that group, but the issue I have with this, is that those groups, they are not per se, uh, made by a sociocracy way, right? So they are elected mm. by top down and then all the decisions mm. goes through these guys. And what am I missing here? Like, how is that different than from the sociocracy? It's just that the lead is elected. Right. The lead is elected from below. Everybody gets a chance to to consent to who's going to be the representative that gets this privileged information. And that's very different than the director saying, oh, I like you, you and you. Yeah. That it's quite different. Yeah. 
So, um, in you're also um, active and exploring an idea with Erasmus of um, neighborocracy, and I'm assuming that's more yeah. implementing <laughs> sociocracy in um, in other social structures than organized than companies and organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How is that working out? Like, can we scale? Can you scale well, sociocracy to the basically to yes. the socios, to the society? Yeah, to the socios. Yes, the um, I, I'm I'm in the process of working on a book. I'm nearly done with it. I'm co-authoring it with a man who has a long United Nations career, um, and uh, who's from Africa. So we've been getting lots of chance to compare cultures. But the name of the book is "Governance from Below: Can Children Lead the Way." And uh, so it's it's both about the fact that children are the most disenfranchised group in all of society, and they actually have have a lot to say and can say it effectively politically. Um, and you know we we are missing a lot because children can actually see things adults can't see, and so there's that component. But it's also <clears throat> um, the there needs to be a voice from below to. Um, and I'll, I'll get into this in a little bit more detail to to really secure society. Um, this idea is related to Gandhi's ideas of what you know, building from the village from uh, from below up. Uh, Gerard Endenberg had a, a diagram where um, companies would have their top circle people get together and they would get together, and so there's a, a structure going up to to organize society. Um, a man named uh, Father Edwin John in India, Tamil Nadu, invented the same thing. And it's amazing to see their two diagrams next to each other. They're, they're almost identical, that they were unaware of each other. I, I um, connected with Edwin John maybe about 10 years ago. I've been over there and, and worked with him. He has something called a um, neighborhood community network concept. And... Um, it started when he was a young priest and was assigned to work with a village in India where they had lots of crime and corruption and, and uh, that sort of thing. And he proceeded by organizing neighborhoods. And by neighborhoods, I mean no more than 30 families and having them have parliaments. And he basically came up with consent decision making. And then if you have 30 of those, then they have representatives to the next level. And he took that town up to three levels, and and within a year they had solved the problems. The town was, you know, much better because everybody was able to control their immediate environments, and then the next level, and they could, if somebody was uh, at the higher level was doing what they didn't want, they could pull them back immediately. There's no need for like a special recall election or anything. They just pull them back, and um, this uh, he he talked with the people who were over in uh, Kerala um, about this, and they were developing something called the Kadumba Shari system, where they were trying to organize poor women initially. And they set up the same structure. Today in Kerala, there's a few hundred thousand neighborhood parliaments, and they are federated up three levels. Um, I think they'll go beyond that to the whole government at some point, but in Kerala right now, the majority of the local politicians in the regular system are now women, which is very unusual in India. So we have these examples uh, of, of organizing neighborhoods, and the most successful version of that has been to organize children. There's actually uh, a, a child prime minister of India that's spoken to the UN. Um, and so the... Uh, I helped them get the attention of uh, places like the Sociocracy Zentrum in uh, Vienna um, and um, some other places in Europe. And so they are now trying to replicate what they've been doing in India through the Sonic or the, you know, the Erasmus uh, Fund uh, effort. I think there's nine countries involved. And so it's related to like co-housing. Co-housing is kind of organizing neighborhoods, but it's not a, not ever formed a, a, a system where you know you don't go build special houses; you just organize a neighborhood. There are lots of challenges in the Western culture to be able to do this. You don't just you know like it's normal to not not know the names of the people that live three houses, from even you, one, yes. and you live there for five years. And and so the the individualism in the Western culture pushes against that, but they're poking at it. You know, can now 
So why is it a secure system of governance? It's, it's, it's now that we have so much happening uh, electronically, it's you really don't know who you're dealing with electronically. The, you're open for manipulation. You're open for all kinds of baloney coming in. But if, you, if it's a group of 30 people or less, then you know those people and you know whether you can trust them or not. And so you have the, you know, the control by people who know each other. You're not having to talk through microphones or anything. And that, I think that that system is what we need to counteract the, the downside of all the uh, electronic communication. We, we really need to be grounded in, in local um, direct contact with each other. But so, so then let's what? say on a, on a municipality level, this is a really interesting example for me. Um, so you have neighborhoods organizing themselves in, uh, in representatives uh, to make some decisions about the neighborhoods. What do we want to, how, how do we want to see the future of our neighborhoods of this street, for instance, and then you have the neighboring street doing the same, and then you elect um, representatives that then form a higher up circle, then they deal with a larger area. Then you you are still there is no other way obviously because you, you the people who make the the bottom decision are still detached far from the decisions that are being made few few circles few circles higher. Mm -hmm. My my question would be would then be wouldn't that essentially be very similar to the how same. society runs today? No, uh, the way society runs today is the people who make those big, broad decisions get elected by majority vote. Mm -hmm. Oh, we have 100,000 people electing yeah. somebody. How do I speak to 100,000 people? Well, I need the equivalent of a microphone. I've got to you know, put out media and all that kind of thing. Right. We're now into money. And so, oh, I'm fundraising. Well, you know, uh, Mr. Rich Person down the street, how would you like to kind of help me in here? And suddenly all the... The the um, um, the the purity or the the integrity is down the tubes, uh, and so if you're going from the bottom up, you have um, the, a number of things like uh, subsidiarity, meaning that the the problems get pushed to the lowest level, and you have immediate recall, so that if somebody really is not doing anything, you can pull them back. Right now, you elect somebody. You know, 100,000 people elect somebody, you don't like them, then you have to have a recall or you wait till the end of the five-year term. And so they're much less responsive. Yeah, so the feedback that you mentioned is not there in the way how it is now. Right. right. And it also would require also participation on, on local level by everybody because in, in a lot of Western societies That's... right now, it is that people just don't really care sometimes well, but then the question is the, why right because is that because why? you are not yeah. part of it your voice is not per se heard because you gave your vote or is it because people really just don't care yeah, uh, right T today the, everybody i know in the west is too busy yeah and it's almost like a control tool you have to work really hard or you have to do all these things or you're encouraged to do that and the, and you're not encouraged to actually sit and think, to have a retrospective with your neighbors. Yeah. That's, that's just not there. Should, should I run my the, family in a sociocracy way? Oh, yes. Yes, we have lots of successful examples of that. And children love to be in there. And teenagers don't love to be in there unless you talk about the family budget and their allowance, and then they're right there. So. <laughs> <laughs> but like, do you, do you have so, to have a group? To have a sociocracy, or is it like a, a like a couple could have a sociocracy thing? How does this? How when do you define that is a sociocracy a fit? Right, right. I have experimented with uh, trying to teach people how to have a circle meeting with themselves, and I, I, I you know, when I've done that, I'll put maybe four or five chairs around, and we'll identify different parts of their personality, like adult, child, um, interesting, a parent, and all that, and then I'll have them sit in one chair and say, this is what I think. And then they maybe move to the child's chair. And the child says, you're keeping me so you're so busy, you never have time to play and I like to play. And so they and it's pretty scary because when I've tried to do that, people generally end up in tears. Can imagine that? Yeah. And and we I've experimented with them having a top circle, you know, of the other people and they, you know, and so it's 
you can do it. It's pretty heavy stuff, but I'm not a psychologist, so I tend not to do that, <laughs> not to go there. Yeah. Well, my experience so, so far with uh, with sociocracy, and I did the training that was organized by your institute, it was that it's, it can, can be quite emotionally charging uh, process because a lot of things come up. Yeah. So, yeah. but I'm assuming also the the consent decision making um, process and the steps that you need to need to take that's that could be actually helpful also for an individual, also for cup for couples. So first you present a proposal yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. and then we're not going to work. We're not in the first step. We're not going to try to define solutions to this problem, but we're going to ask questions. And that's like, let's try to give a shape of this whole problem that we have tried to understand it, then have a discussion about it and then try to come up with some sort of um, solutions mm -hmm. to it. Um, Mar, you tried so right that, with your family already. <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> I did to, yes, to some extent. I uh, we had to make a decision or something. And normally, people want to jump right away into uh, problem-solving mode, or, or into mm -hmm. oh, do I agree to this? And it's like, oh, stop. We're not gonna talk about do you agree. We're gonna talk about do you disagree? Do you do you? Do you have an objection if the rest do this? And it's, it like completely shifted the perspective. So you don't have to be up for it, but don't be against it. And that helps move a few things uh, along the way. So that was quite, <laughs> quite nice. The, the, what I like is that you can bring in all kinds of neat technologies for this. You know, there's the, all the, um, um, let's say, appreciative inquiry or dragon dreaming, or Kepner Trigo problem solving, or six hats, or, or whatever, they all fit into that. Yeah. They're all ways to help, like, see what's the problem or start brainstorming solutions and all that. So it's not, it's it's that, that general process just uh, captures a lot of the thinking that's that's been being developed for uh, a lot of people for over some time. And, and I think, so let's say well, somebody is listening now and they think, <coughs> okay, so circular sounds really great. How do we, how do we go about trying to introduce some of this into organizations. So can we, can you start introducing some of the principles on a team level as an individual, which without always having um, buy-in from the top? Uh, what are the risks of that? What can people do? Yeah, the, that's at least in part addressed by the, the book that Yuta and I wrote, uh, where we spend the last third of the book talking about doing probes. Um, the, the, and, and that's a disciplined thing. So, okay, there's this principle of sociocracy and maybe a little bit of beyond budgeting. What if we tried doing this? Here's our hypothesis. We try it out. Oh, what happens? So you can approach it that way. And, um, the, you know, it, it works. I had a call from, um, uh, or, or a contact. It wasn't a call. It was a, it was an email from somebody who runs its software company in Brazil who said, Hey, five years ago, you guys were you know, teaching me this probing stuff. And I just want to let you know, I, I, I owe you a thank you for that. Uh, he said, we, we just finished having the, the company of 50 people together, making a decision about how we were going to give uh, raises next year. And we got to that by probing at it and saying, what if, and it really works well, but we, you know, thank you for that. And so the being, doing the rapid prototyping, um, being very disciplined about what you're doing, talking with others or publishing, uh, you know, what you've done. So you get feedback that that's all good ways to go. And then you can decide, oh, do I need a consultant to help me with this? Or, you know, what, what are we going to do? You know, we'll, we'll read up and research. It, it doesn't, it, you know, stick you with the, um, the choice only of I'm going to try to fake it, you know, based on reading a book or getting an expensive consultant. It's, you know, you can grow it yourself. And what kind of, of problems should a company have um, when they should consider uh, you know, going to a sociocracy model? Is it like universally applicable or is it like when they have an issue with uh, employee satisfaction or, or like an efficiency <laughs> problem? Like what motivates companies to move to a sociocracy? Because, you know, the, the guy making the decision could get elected away, right? Yeah. Or the, the person, I should say. My, after doing some consulting, I've reached the conclusion that there is a larger variation 
in the personalities of companies than there is variation in human personalities. It's like all over yeah. the place. And, and so it's not just problems. It can be opportunities. You know, how do we stay ahead of the game? What do we see this coming? Um, but what, what do we do to adjust? Okay. Let's, let's you know, make this decision together or try it out and that kind of thing. So it's, I don't, I can't answer the question. There's no one thing. It's like, you know, if it, if it hurts here on your, your left ankle, then, you know, wrap a bandage around it. Cut your ankle off. Right. Cut your ankle out. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the thing that when I speak with people about uh, sociocracy, at least a few things that, that I've read it in the, the small training I did with you guys as well, sometimes come people saying like, oh, it's, so it's about having no management. Is that the case? <laughs> and I think I sometimes get confused with Zappu's holacracy. What is the difference? Uh, yeah, ho ho uh, Brian Robertson was a client of mine at one point uh, when he was at Terranary Software. And uh, then he decided that he had a better way to do it. And some of the things he does are really cool. He's a great marketer. And he also, um, I think, made some mistakes. Um, but the it's to be expected. I mean, there's various people trying out different varieties of sociocracy. Sociocracy, sociocracy 3.0, circle forward, um, the holacracy are all like, you know, here's a neat thing. And it's, it's, so it's a branch it's of sociocracy. environment. But at Zappos, um, the, I think there was a big mistake to say, oh, now we're going to be holocratic. And uh, 15 or 18% of the company left and said, no, I'm not. <laughs> and so it's my experience much better to say, hmm, let's try this out. We'll try a couple of circles. And if that works, then we'll try some more. And, and we'll, we'll you know, adapt it as we go. And it's, it's something we're doing, not something that the, the, the boss is ordering us to be equivalent. Yeah, so you think the way how they made it is, uh, yeah, could have been better, but this sense like then what would be the difference between like, because when I read this whole holacracy, I understand it's like, oh, there is no manager somewhere. And with sociocracy, there is some management still, right? There is the hierarchical layer in it. It's not true. There's no management in the holacracy. It's they, they disguise it. But for example, <laughs> in, in, if you have, if you have a, a, a group, a circle, whatever they're going to call it, um, it says in the holacracy constitution, Oh, only the boss, the supervisor can make strategic plans. You can only come in with your tensions. It's like, okay, <laughs> where's the boss in that picture? Yeah. And, and, uh, so the, 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 the thing is, is that work, regardless of what it is, happens at different levels of abstraction. You can be hammering a nail in a board, uh, but then, well, what's that for? It's for a house. Okay, there's a plan for the house. Well, the house is part of a, you know, a, a housing community, and so it has to fall. And so there's all kinds of levels of, of work when you're hammering a nail in a board. And the, the abstract thinking is something that takes time and preparation and some skill. And if you like hammering, you know, the, the wood and sawing, and that's where your skill is, knowing how to really make that work, you're not going to be interested in or maybe the best person to be handling the abstract stuff. You've got to handle it at all levels. Yeah. And so the nature of work is hierarchical. And so you have to build, you have to take that big circle of people and say, all right, given that we've got hierarchical work, how do we want to organize? Even though we're still a circle, we're going to break it down in ways that work. Yeah, and I think that's a part and so you literally, that I get a yeah. bit confused sometimes because uh, I think well, I understand, correct if I'm wrong, like, so the hierarchical part of the work, right? Like when I see, I think those are normally the reasons why I see, for example, command and control. There is this guy who is an expert mm -hmm. and then he basically, let's just get a very simple example. He's going to dictate which tool or which tooling is going to be used from an IT company because, wow, he is the expert. And then this goes all like top down. And then when you talk with them, like, yeah, the reason why we don't ask is because these people don't know. So we just have to tell them what mm -hmm. to do. And I think that's for me when it gets the conflict of, can it a sociocracy thing works without experts or competence or how this would be if you just have one competence people or at least has these skills and everybody else is quite new to the job. Mm. You, you've, if it's sociocratic, at some level, everybody has consented for that expert to be the boss. And every few weeks, they have a circle meeting or a retrospective and say, you know, boss, this is working pretty well, but you're screwing up here and here. We want you to, to act differently. 
we we change your remit as to what you can do. Okay. The boss says, okay, all right, and I consent to that. All right, we'll try this out. So there's the the boss who's just directing is is human, has blind spots, and has limitations, and cannot see everything, and so needs the feedback loop to be a good steerer. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think I understand. Uh, so, go ahead, uh, Panchi. So we talked about uh, circles and um, uh, how do you how do you build a circle? Would a circle can you equate circle to a to a team? Uh, can you equate a circle? Would then then what about what if one uh, let's say manager is responsible for multiple teams? Would there be like multiple circles and that the, the manager mm -hmm. is a part of? How would that start working in a an organization? The it it's the classic thing with the Endenberg, you know, top down diagram with no matrix and you know cross functional teams. If if you leave that out for the moment, then each circle has its common dual. And I'm saying the Dutch word yes. as opposed to the English, because Dutch say dual and they mean target, aim, purpose, purpose. goal, objective, and all those crazy English words that you can't quite you know doesn't nail it down. So they have a common dual. We, the best translation I've, we've been able to make is aim. And an aim is a product or service that uh, is differentiated from other products and services and the customer understands it and likes it. And so you're doing something and that's, that's the glue that holds you together is your common uh, aim or, or dual or purpose. Um, and so if you have a a unit that's been broken down in a big organization with a supervisor and some people working with the supervisor, boom, there's your common dual, your common aim. And so you need to be making decisions about how are we working together? You're semi-autonomous, you're in a part of a bigger structure, but hey, we're gonna you know, program the way we want or whatever they're doing. Um, and then, yes, if you have a, a manager who's supervising supervisors who then, you know, th then you create uh, four or five circles and they have representatives and they have a general circle and it can build up that way. Um, I think the largest... Because this is, this is sort of uh, a way to transition uh, maybe a common hierarchy into sort of a circle structure. Can you do it the other way around? You overlay the circle structure on it. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, exactly. So that's quite, that's quite, at least in my mind, it's quite straightforward. Can you do it the other way around? Like, like define some sort of hierarchical structure from a circle structure? Sure, yeah, you can change that hierarchical structure. The circle structure can change the hierarchy anytime it wants. Huh. Um, so, the, so the example I gave of the, uh, um, the school where the, the teacher said, we want you to you know, consult with us was changing the hierarchical structure. They had an objection to the way it was operating, and so they changed it. But you then get into things like cross-functional teams and all of the, the really neat concepts that have flowed out of the Agile. Then you end up having circles that go cross, you know, horizontally rather than vertically. Yes. And then that becomes a, a fun design uh, challenge to, to, you know, how does that work? But so it's like one um, software company I worked with um, was doing a whole bunch of programming for a, a customer and they all had to share one server. So you had different programming teams, but each team had an expert on the server and they would get together horizontally and set policy for that server. And they didn't need to have an extra representative. They just had somebody who they elected as the head of the server team who sat in the, the next higher level. So that's one way where you work in the horizontal circles. Yep. All right. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, with that one, we can uh, maybe yeah, wrap things up a bit here. Uh, if people want to learn more about this stuff, uh, are your are the books that you helped co-wrote a good starting point or should they uh, look somewhere else? They, they can read those books, yay. <laughs> commercial, commercial break. <laughs> uh, and while I'm on that, if, they, if you look on the governancealive.com, yeah. Uh, or get hold of Utah, uh, and I'm not sure. I, I should have Utah's uh, uh, email yeah, address. Yeah, I can put it in the notes. Um, we have it as well. We I'll still, yeah, we still yeah. have it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the, if you're in Europe, go see Utah. If you're in the U.S., come see me. If you're in India, either one of us is fair game, and, and so on. Um, 
but there's there's a lot of um, people now who understand it. I'm, we're we're uh, moving people towards certification. We've got you know uh, the International Sociocracy Certification Board, right? Um, as the ISCB.Earth, I think. Um, okay. The, uh, Vienna's in there. Uh, there's a number of organizations that are kind of clustered or, or allied to try to, to bring this kind of thinking, uh, not just sociocracy, but like, you know, we'd, um, I'll be having a conference in a couple of weeks with a bunch of people from Beyond Budgeting and we right. trade information back and forth. So there's a, there's a whole complex of people that yeah. are there to help out. All right. Cool. Well, uh, we'll include the, the resources uh, in the uh, in the description for people to uh, to take a closer look yeah. at. Uh, John, I'd like to thank you very much for uh, taking time out of your day to uh, to share your experience and knowledge about sociocracy with uh, with us and with our audience. Um, so yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, thanks a lot for and, joining uh, us. I really uh, clarified a lot me. of things <laughs> in my head. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And I also, of course, want to thank the, the listener for tuning in, as always. Uh, if you have any suggestions or questions, feel free to send us an email at uh, podcast at forscouts.nl. Uh, you can also reach us on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash forscouts. Uh, John Buck, thanks again very much, and talk to you guys later. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.